This is episode 24 of the Angry Tech News Podcast for Tuesday, February 22nd, 2022. This is the Angry Tech News Podcast at angrytechnews.com. Now your host, the angry programmer with a mic, Brian Bemrose. It's suddenly very cold in the Pacific Northwest again. Not really a surprise, it's winter after all, and very cold is still measured in the negative single digits, or the 20s in freedom units, which is chilly enough to need a jacket, but not so much that one has to break out the electric underwear. Do people wear electric underwear? Is that even safe? The reason I mention it is because that my home is heated primarily by a wood stove. Warming up a house involves some manual labor. And as I sit here, looking at the nearly empty wood hopper next to the stove, I have to decide whether it's worth it to haul wood from downstairs or just put on some more clothing and put up with numb fingers. Yeah, okay, fine. This is a tech news show, not a drive-time radio. You don't need the weather report. Some of today's stories are left over from last week, and you're going to have to forgive me for that. Or not. They're still good stories, and I had a glut of open tabs that I needed to clear out. And besides, I never actually promised current news. The name of the show isn't This Week in Tech News, it's Angry Tech News. As long as the news is tech, and it's angry, I feel like I've fulfilled my promise to you. Besides, like all good reporters, I operate under a deadline, and I gotta get that podcast out before the Tuesday police get snarky again. First up, some headlines. PayPal has updated its user agreement with changes to their seller protection plan to exclude NFTs. The seller protection plan is PayPal's guarantee to sellers against fraudulent chargebacks. In general, if a customer does a chargeback or complains that they didn't receive an item, but you as a seller can prove to PayPal, with lots and lots of caveats, read your terms of service people, that you shipped an item in good faith, the company will make sure that you get the full amount. The change here is that PayPal is now excluding NFTs from this program, citing an inordinate amount of fraud and scams surrounding the tokens. In other NFT news, The Verge is reporting that Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs Department has, as a part of an ongoing fraud case, become the first authority in the UK to seize an NFT. They report that the authority seized roughly 5,000 pounds of crypto assets. Wait, 5,000 pounds, that's... That's like $7,000 US, or about half the cost of a tank of gas in California. Never mind, Verge. Next story. The Agency Nationale des Frequencies in France received an interesting complaint this week. It seems that internet and cellular services for the town of Massanges went down between the hours of midnight and 3 a.m. every night for more than a week. When the agency set someone with a spectrum analyzer to check out the problem, they saw that the spectrum was saturated with noise, a sure sign that somebody was using a frequency jammer. It turns out that a father had installed the signal jammer in their home to prevent his teenagers from accessing the internet when they were supposed to be asleep. What he didn't realize is the jammer he bought was powerful enough to cover the whole town and not just his own house. The man, who is not named in any articles I found out about the, found about the story, but admittedly, I probably wouldn't be able to pronounce his name if, even if he was named, is now facing a hefty fine and up to six months in jail. Signal jammers are illegal in France, and I think now we know why. As a side note, I probably butchered most of the names in this story anyway. If I did, 
then please, by all means, pardon my French. From the Not For Kids department, Roblox, one of many massively multiplayer online properties with a better claim to the term metaverse than anything that Mark Zuckerberg has ever come up with, has a slight problem. Roblox, as you may recall, or not, is an online multiplayer game where players design the levels. Players use the provided dev tools to create a virtual game level and then go into a global lobby to invite other people to join the level, to socialize with each other, and to play through it using their own personal custom-skinned avatars. The game is generally considered a children's game on account of the low-polygon avatars and graphics reminiscent of LEGO. But with the crowdsource level design, it's not difficult to come across something that appeals to the adult platform game enthusiast. Of course, allowing the level design to be crowdsourced has also proven very popular with another kind of adult enthusiast. One might say, one who might say have low standards for graphics and wishes to use this fledgling metaverse for that most time-honored of human activities. And there's the problem in a nutshell as far as Roblox is concerned. People are creating custom sex-themed levels, known on the platform as condos. A condo creator will advertise a game in the lobby, players searching for the correct secret handshake keywords will find it and join with their avatars, often custom-skinned to look like nude Lego minifigs, and participate in an activity which, if this were 1993, could only be described as cybersex. As far as I can tell, this consists mostly of lewd chat and rubbing your blocky game avatars against other people. But I guess that's where having the good imagination helps. Obviously, the Roblox Corporation is outraged that this sort of thing occurs. How dare consenting adults get together and chat on their platform about things that consenting adults are interested in? It's an outrage. The company says that the condo games are usually discovered and removed by mods in under an hour and usually within 20 minutes, but points out that by then the damage is done. It's not clear to me what kind of damage they might be talking about, unless you're referring to destroyed virtual Lego vag. Personally, I think it says much more about Roblox users that they don't need more than 20 minutes to finish the deed. As longtime listeners to my podcast know, though, I don't judge. This horrific scandal comes on the heels of another story from earlier this month about Facebook, and yes, I'm dead naming the company. I refuse to call them meta and sacrifice yet another commonly used term to disappear in a proprietary corporate trademark vault. Sue me. It would seem that Facebook is having some trouble in Horizon Worlds, their Oculus VR virtual game world, where people were getting a bit handsy, virtually groping other VR players in the game. At first, the company implemented a feature which would cause a player's arms to disappear if they got within four virtual feet of another player. But creep's gonna creep, the company is still getting reports of players rubbing their armless virtual torsos up against other players in an obvious textbook case of virtual sexual assault. Or possibly rave dancing. Or 4.30pm on a Tokyo subway car. We're not sure. And so the company came up with another alternative that will no doubt instill Puritan values in these online degenerates. They have implemented online virtual social distancing. That's right, their solution is that virtual avatars in Horizon Worlds can no longer approach each other closer than four virtual feet away. If that doesn't stamp out that pesky human interaction that keeps infesting Facebook's platforms, I don't know what will. 
Now, if only they can come up with an excuse to implement mandatory virtual masking as well. From the Dagger Noose Deadface Clock Department, RFC 1035 is a very English language-centric specification. The RFC, which defines what strings are allowable as domain names in the global DNS system, specifies that names can only consist of a hyphen, the 10 numeric digits, and the 26 English alphabetic characters. While this makes URL strings very easy to type for those of us with US-style keyboards, this limitation has met with less enthusiasm in places that use alphabetic characters not on the above-approved list. Various proposals to solve this problem have been proposed over the years, though most of the time people just settle for a romangiized bastardization of their name using English letters. Most of these solutions involve expanding the set of available characters, implementing multi-character glyphs, or creating a separate natively addressable DNS. Despite technically doing all three of these things, a recently announced Opera browser feature does nothing to solve this problem. But in the opinion of this humble podcaster, it is a fascinating way to make the problem much, much worse. Opera recently announced that they are going to allow a string of emojis to take you to a website. They are doing this thanks to a partnership with alternative DNS company Yat, whose host, who host a DNS redirector similar to Bitly, for example, whose main feature is that you can select any Unicode characters for your redirect and specifically that you can select a string of emoji. Just put in y.at slash followed by your string and Yat will search their proprietary namespace for the real public domain and redirect your browser there. So according to the Yat examples given, you can just type y.at slash rainbow rocket alien in any browser and that will in fact take you to Kesha's site. I don't know why you'd want to go to Kesha's site or type emoji into a browser, but you can. The innovation Opera brings to the table is that their browser will soon infer the y.at part, meaning that you will no longer need a single English character anywhere in your address bar. Merely input the glyphs for, say, zucchini rocket splash droplets barfing face, and Opera will know to take you to your favorite video site. Well, assuming that that's your kink and that's your favorite. Uh, never mind. As a cranky boomer trapped in the body of a late model Gen Xer, it's unlikely that I'm ever going to get emojis. It's a pictographic writing system attached to a grammar-free language whose authors make it up as they go and whose recipients are left to puzzle out the meaning as best they can. It represents quite literally the opposite of clear, precise communication. Of course, if the recipient can't puzzle out the incomprehensible glyphs, well, most emoji fluent probably consider that a feature. So as a communications medium, I think emoji is a blatant failure. As a secret code decipherable only to people born after a certain year, it makes a lot more sense. But as an AOL keyword, that's where Opera and Yat think that they can cash in. From the More G's department, it's the end of an era. AT&T is shutting down their legacy 3G network in the United States, and T-Mobile and Verizon are planning to shut theirs down later this year. 3G networks have been in continuous operation pretty much since 2003, and were present for the explosion of the smartphone into daily life. Of course, smartphones moved off of 3G quite some time ago into the newer 4G and the allegedly cancer-causing 5G. Just kidding, it doesn't cause cancer. 
that we know of. It just causes planes to fall out of the sky, judging by the FAA's current reaction. You know what? Never mind. I forget I said anything. Of course, 3G also saw the introduction of the Internet of Things and the introduction of many, many embedded devices, which still use the network to connect. And that's the problem. These devices will soon stop working with the network shutting down. Some of the examples of things that are going to stop working, according to the Axios write-up that I read, are in-car navigation systems on many, many models that connect via 3G, including some that are only a few years old. Vehicle fleet GPS and communication services, including school and municipal buses and bus shelters. Nearly all wireless home alarm systems installed before 2015. And the iPhone 5 and older. And I know there are some of you out there still using the really, really old Apple pads. AT&T is offering 4G replacements for any 3G phones still in service. GM, the owners of OnStar, have been pushing for over-the-air updates and offering upgrades to their cars because they only stopped using 3G in 2015. But for most of the products that still use 3G, the only alternative will be to shift entirely to Wi-Fi. When reading this story, I took an inventory in my house of which devices run on 3G, and I realized that I won't really be impacted. Sure, my wife has three Kindles that all use the network, but eh, she's moved on. I have an old Kindle that's been in airplane mode continuously since 2008 because I wasn't willing to let Amazon push an update that might unroot it. And my car, my GM car, has OnStar. But that one stopped working years ago when 2G was shut off. I want to give a big shout out to Rhett Vandenberg, Steve Edwards, Curtis Peterson, and Don Mills for producing this episode of Angry Tech News, as well as Cold Acid, C-Dubs, and Sir Oma, who seem to be the people who were able to get boosts through to my podcast 2.0 node. Angry Tech News is produced on the Value for Value model. We don't take sponsors, we don't play ads, and we don't charge you to listen, but we are funded by your donations. If you got value from listening to this show, please send some value back. Go to angrytechnews.com and click the donate button. Send whatever you thought this show was worth to you, be it five bucks, 25 bucks, 75 bucks, or 2,000. Who knows? That's all for me. I've been Ryan Bemrose, the angry programmer. I'll come back next week with more angry tech news and hopefully some heat in my house. This has been Angry Tech News with the angry programmer, Ryan Bemrose at angrytechnews.com. Stay angry, stay angry, stay angry.